Hello, dear one, and welcome to the Brave Path podcast. I am your host, Emily Bird. This podcast exists to empower the service-led and soul-centered entrepreneur, that's you, who's looking for clarity, alignment, and empowerment along your business journey. Here we dive into all the things when it comes to the development of your most authentic offerings, awakening and embodying your highest CEO self in the form of your personal brand and spiritual being. While you overcome the blocks and limitations that we all face as we grow in business, upgrading your mindset and dismantling those old limiting beliefs and outdated programming so you can play full out in your business. Here, you will discover deeper parts of yourself and confidently know which steps to take next, how to build this dream business of yours through the divine channel that is you. Yes, we get spiritual here and also strategic. I am your transformational business coach, facilitating the space for you to have the inner transformation necessary for the outer expansion in business you desire. Let's get into it. I am so excited about today's interview. We are bringing in my very special soul sister and friend, Jen Trefanier. So a little bit about her before I bring her on. Jen is incredible. I met her in a coaching certification program that she and I did together. We completed a year long 300 hour mastery coaching certification in 2021. And I was just always so drawn to her and her energy and just who she was and who she stood for and how deeply she just was embodied in her own self. You know, when you meet people that just really know who they are and that is, that is just the energy that they put out. Well, that's Jen. And so as I got to know her on a deeper, more personal level, I just knew that she was someone that I would want to bring on to the podcast and introduce to you. So our conversation is just transparently, it's going to be completely fluid. We do not have notes. We do not even have a full agenda. And Jen and I really riff off of our own energy and what we're present with in that moment. And it's really powerful. So I'm bringing her on. I'm so excited for you to meet Jen and just a little bit about her after facing a life-threatening illness as a child and overcoming numerous rare autoimmune conditions, Jen Trepanier is no stranger to pain. Okay. Her usual, her unusual journey has brought her wisdom, including a deep understanding of the transformative power of dis-ease, disease. In her desire to better understand her experiences, Jen earned her master's in psychophysiology, the study of the mind-body connection. She also became a certified mastery method coach. That's the program that we worked together in. And she works with clients on five different pathways, somatic, emotional, mental, behavioral, and unconscious. Today, Jen's passion is working with the chronically ill, as well as with people who are ready to remove personal blocks and really transform their lives. In addition to her coaching and group work, Jen also runs her nonprofit Pile of Puppies, which brings joy healings to the chronically and terminally ill children by surrounding them with a pile of puppies. Pops, Pile of Puppies, two main mottos are, within darkness there is light and joy heals. She has also written a book based on her life and how she found wisdom and life force in facing her own death and working with the dying, chronic illness, sex and sexuality, and motherhood. Her book will be published this year in 2023, and I cannot wait to read it. So without any further ado, let's bring on Jen. Hello, Miss Emily. I'm so happy we're here. This is amazing. You look gorgeous. Normally I'm in pajamas or, or comfies, but I got into a leopard dress for you. Honey. <laughs> and some makeup. And your hair looks beautiful. Very dirty and messy, but we'll go with it. Beautiful. <laughs> take it in. Y'all take it. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming on today. It's so good to connect with you in this way and to share you and your wisdom and your vibrancy with this audience. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. 
So I prefaced in your intro that we don't have an agenda. (laughs) We just flow. We flow in our magic. Yes. But there's a, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's a couple of things that I just want to make sure that we do speak about today. And one is your book. Thank you. So whatever you want to share with us about the book, like I would love to hear the story of, because you know that I want to write a book too. Um, I would love to hear the story of why you decided to write a book and like, what was that? What was that experience for you? And also just what's alive and real right now for you today? Because I know that that's one of our most powerful connection points is when you and I get together, it's just like, okay, this is what's real. This is what's most activated. And I find that that when we tap into those channels, it really does serve the collective. So, yes. So let's start with the now I'll go into the book, but, um, power of being present is right now. Mm-hmm. And I got off the phone call at 5.30 a.m. with a dear friend of mine who is uh, in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. and she goes there often. She works with the World Health Organization in doing uh, emergency response and coordination anywhere from on the ground all the way to the president of Ukraine. Um, it was profound to listen to her stories And, you know, I do work with the dying, dying children, adults. Um, I faced death on my own with my own autoimmune diseases as a child and as an adult. And what I continue to see throughout my life with all of the igniters, the integrators, the, what did she say? Um, The conduits. So the woman that I spoke to today is a conduit to bring healing space to those who are in the war-torn area. Mm. And, And what I noticed when we were speaking was the power of presence. She told me two stories that brought me to my knees and I will sum it up with it is the power of presence and the power of joy um, and how children are our teachers. The (laughs) first story she told me today was as she was about to go for a walk in a park um, and her children called her, her angels called her. And because of their phone call, she wasn't killed. A bomb went off while she was on a call as she started to walk and they heard it. And Mm. she walked them through what the everyday life is. She goes, I'm gonna show you what we're gonna do. I've got my go bag. My go bag is filled with two packs of batteries, change of clothes, food, water. And then as she's talking, I said, you know, this, when you say your go bag, it takes me back to when I gave birth to my child, you have mm-hmm. a go bag. And we talked about, and she was like, uh-huh, she's got her twins. And she said, yes, because you're getting birthed into your next experience. And, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Whatever experience we're going through, whether we're transitioning into another space as though you're transitioning is a term we use with the dying and in hospice, Mm -hmm. or whether you're being present with someone who's struggling, the sheer presence of someone can ignite a life force. And so she shared with me about that experience of sharing with her children how they saved her life and what you do in the now and the present moment in a deep struggle in war. The second story she shared with me was so powerful. She was, again, walking through a park, and she said this beautiful woman with a babushka on comes over and hugs her. Mm-hmm. And she looked at her, and she said, thank you. She had a translator. And she said, thank you for coming from another country to bring your joyous smile I carry around my neck the ashes of my son. He was killed three months ago. And I want him to know that there are people in this world who still care about us. Uh, Whoa. Presence is power. Pity is poison. Whether you're working in war situations with chronically ill, uh, new mothers, <laughs> that can also be some places too. They're mm. thinking of all those places where we can choose to infuse life force or take it away. 
This is mm-hmm. my work with clients. This is my work on the planet. This is my work with my book. It's about infusing life force and finding wisdom within the suffering and wisdom within the challenge. Mm. Infusing life force, even in death. That's right. Even in chronic illness. Yeah. I have a nonprofit that's been around for seven years. It's called Pile of Puppies. Yeah. Ever need a burst of joy? We surround chronically and terminally ill children with a pile of puppies. (laughs) I love it. On Christmas Day, 2022, my family took, uh, as well as the wonderful breeder who brought her golden retriever puppies, who also happens to be a hospice nurse, we all went to a home with a mother who has lost her husband, lost Mm. her son, Mm. losing her son, and her daughter has the same disease, Huntington disease, as everyone she has lost. Wow. This woman is the queen when it comes to understanding grief. Mm. So I asked her, what is it? Because I asked, we ask difficult questions to the people who I know I can, and this mom was a power source of life force, of light. Mm. And for her, she was religious. So for her, she asked Jesus, Um, I asked her, what did you do when you were losing your husband? And she said to me, at the hardest moment, I asked God, what do I do now? Yeah. We heard, this is so powerful, goes back to the same thing we spoke about. Mm. Love them now. Love Mm. them. Presence is power. Presence is power. Mm. Love them now. Yeah. There is no tomorrow for any of us. It's right now. Yeah. Tomorrow could come. It might not come. That's what we know in hospice world, right? You in hospice, someone could go tomorrow. They could go six months from now. They could go a year from now. You don't know. Mm. Um, but there is always light within darkness. Every single person that I encounter in this work the goal has always been to find that light within mm-hmm. the darkness because there is always light and joy heals. Mm-hmm. Without, that's so powerful, light in the darkness, there's always there. It's always there without, so how do you do that <clears throat> without, bypassing the intensity of the pain Mm -hmm. the darkness like how do you alchemize how do you transmute the I feel like it's the most intense kind of pain to lose a partner to lose your husband to lose your child to lose a child period like as a mom myself I can't even imagine and and we've lost children in my family and I have friends who've lost kids and how do you, yeah, like how do you witness, be in, honor, acknowledge, live into the light in, in those moments and not a bypassing kind of way? Is it, I guess it's like holding them both with reverence and presence. Can, can, how, how do we like, I feel like there's so much mastery in this experience of like holding the dark as well as holding the light. Yes. Yes. That is it. Mm. There is no light without dark. There is no darkness without light. They reflect off each other. So when you can become a mirror, when you are, we all are mirrors. Mm -hmm. Some choose to, if, if you take in too much of the light, like I picture if you, if you shine a mirror up at the sun and then it hits the a piece of paper it will burn right Mm -hmm. so so there's a huge focus so what does it feel like and look like to just reflect and listen reflect and listen to me that is the power and the essence of being present Mm -hmm. is it reflection and the listening and I know in my younger years, especially, I would sponge it. I would take it in. I would take on everyone's pain. 
But the truth is, in fact, uh, I did a whole journal entry on this. I don't know how many people know what's happening in Iran, but there are there are massive executions on innocent children, young people, just for women trying to liberate and live freely mm-hmm. how we do. Mm-hmm. And it got to be so much. I was taking it in so much. And I went in and I wrote and I just did an intuitive writing because I want, how can I be of service? How can I help? And what came through was, and it goes back to pity is poison and presence is power. When Mm. I think of Iran and I think of the women who are dying and men who are dying for this cause, Um, to be free, I started focusing more on the bravery versus the the pity and the sadness. And when when I focused on the bravery, I thought about if I were to be killed or murdered for doing something that was, uh, was, was a human right, I would want to be remembered for the bravery, not for the torture that happened. So I started holding space for bravery. And when I think of, of Iran and its people, mm. I'm thinking the bravery. And I don't, I don't focus too much on the other piece because I can't change that fact. Mm-hmm. Other people's suffering, and, I'm, and this, is, this is something I work with with chronic illness. Some people feel really bad for those with chronic illness and they pity. Yeah. And I, what one of the big things is, is other people's pain is their gift to be opened because on the other side of pain is wisdom. Mm. And that wisdom is for that person in pain. And so if I'm going in and sponging up everybody else's pain, I'm only getting their pain. I'm not going to get their wisdom. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so if I reflect back that, oh, everything is a gift, that the, the darkness and the light is the gift, and each of us get to open that gift, each of us get to receive that wisdom, then we're just mirrors and listening and reflecting. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of presence. Okay. Does that make sense? Does that? Yeah. With that? <laughs> it does. It's, it's really simple and deep at the same time. So I know you've been called a few things and I just want to like highlight it because I think it's really like just um, to solidify this moment, you've been called the pain alchemist, the transformation agent and the wisdom whisperer. And I'm curious, like in those moments where you're receiving the wisdom, you said, listen and reflect, listen and reflect. What is that? For the listeners here, what does that look like? How do we do that? How do we develop that presence? How do we develop that level of presence where we're listening and reflecting? Mm. Well, my guess is your listeners are quite aware humans. Yeah. I just feel like that's who you attract. So number one is awareness. Mm -hmm. So awareness of where your body is and how you are receiving from someone. Mm -hmm. Am I listening and then thinking about the next thing to say? Or am I just receiving? Because it's in the receiving and in the quiet moment of actually capturing what someone says that I then inquire. It's not, it's the power of inquiry. So a lot of my work with workshops, with clients, um, I will have people list their whole life and I will read it alone on my own. And then I will ask questions. questions dial deeper into the wisdom of who they are which then reflects back to them and they're answering their own questions Mm -hmm. I I cannot give partake wisdom for your life you you are the one who's going to do that your inner compass so to me the whole goal and the whole part of my work within life force within life force infusing which mind you you Mm -hmm. can be on your deathbed with the highest life force and someone else could be alive, but dead when it comes to life force. Mm. It has nothing to do with the health of your body, mm-hmm. where you are on the planet. It has to do with those who are tapping into their inner 
compass, their inner knowing. Mm. And my work is around getting into that space. Mm -hmm. So you're never asked, you're not asking everyone else what to do. You're going here, mm -hmm. the of going inward. And when you're in the inward space, you're also a much better reflector and a mirror than telling people what to do. Does that, does that make sense? 100%. 100%. I'm mean, one of these, so I know. Yeah. Okay. So I love that. Thank you. And I, I, I feel like you just gave all of us a really powerful action to, to become more aware of how we are listening and, and from what space are we listening and what is the, what I received from that is what is the intention of my presence? What is the intention of my listening right now? Ooh, like, yes. Had a really uncomfortable conversation yesterday. It was uncomfortable for me because of the truth that was being told by the other person. And whereas there was a lot of like gold and gift gems in the conversation, I got to know this person better. But not all things that they said I I wanted to hear. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. Mm. And I've had to really, you know, the past 24 hours, I've had to really like sit in the discomfort of receiving that. And, you know, how, what's, what's obviously like, how am I going to hold it now? And how am I going to hold the relationship, the dynamic that we have? I've decided it's through compassion, it's through understanding, it's through acceptance, and it's through love. I've decided to hold it in that way and also not bypass my own disappointment. And there was a moment where I felt pain in the conversation, you know? Um, so honoring that while also like choosing the frequency that I want to be in when it comes to this dynamic. So for me, just like what you just said is really, if I could go back to yesterday, I would have loved to have been a little bit more intentional in my listening and not I felt like I was receiving information and I was immediately applying it to me and my experience and the experience that I was having with them. And that feels very narrow and small. And so maybe I wouldn't have, maybe I would have had a different experience or maybe I'd be sitting in a different posture today had I been a little bit more intentional with my listening. Um, I love you for this. And how many of us are human and how many of us have been in that position? And especially if you're hearing, I, it, to me, it sounds like you heard something you weren't expecting and then the painful piece. And I've been in that position where you're like, what? And then there's almost, did you almost have like a freeze response? Like, I didn't expect that. And so oh, well. <laughs> I was like standing in the shower, like <laughs> totally naked and I received this information. And I literally wanted to pull the curtain closed and be like, get out. <laughs> like that was the response. Of course. I wanted to like, just say, get out. I can't even, I can't believe you just said that. Leave the room now. You are dismissed. <laughs> and now that you're, oh, that makes sense. I was holding the curtain. I was about to shut the curtain. I was like, what are you doing, Emily? You're not a child. <laughs> Well, were they actually, they were in the physical room. This wasn't a phone call. This was like a yes. call. So, so question only because I really find radical truth being profoundly healing. And I have to ask you, this is something that the painful piece, was there a, a, a big truth in that for you as well? Like a, holy shit, that actually you're right. And I got to process that. Or was it more that you di didn't agree with that painful piece that was shared? The, the, the piece that triggered me into pain was it showed a misalignment. We want different things. And I also judged their, 
what they shared because it felt like it was a very old limitation from when they were a child Mm. you know and they and they said that like ever since I was 10 years old this is what I've believed and this is it this is what I choose and you know that's they're like (laughs) not 10 years old anymore and it felt very limiting to me what they shared and it was also like con um conflicting with what everything else they had just said to me so it felt like I got met with one of their deep core wounds and stories that has a deeply old protective limitation attached to it very protective and I not only did I judge it in the moment but it also hurt me because it it went against what I want, what I desire. Obviously we're talking about a relationship here, you know, and I don't want to disclose too much else more about that because it's very private, but as private as it is, is me saying that I was in the shower. I know I had to like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> together when you said that. Okay. Got it. Yeah. But like, you know, it was, it was intense. That was an intense moment. I wasn't expecting what I heard. And, and I was like, what, you know, and 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 this has been a belief that you've held since you were 10 years old. Like, and it's, it, it's because of a core, like childhood familial wound. And, and that's it. Like, you don't want to let that go. You don't want to integrate that trauma and heal from it and expand beyond it. And here I am like literally right in front of you. I'm about to shut the curtain, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. So well, what I love, so I've been, I love the honesty, rawness of this. What I think about, I've been with uh, my husband, well, we've been partnered for 17 years mm-hmm. and he's completely opposite of me, right? So, so much is opposite, but all his strengths are my weaknesses and all of his weaknesses are my strengths. So there's a beautiful balance, but there also can be like, whoo, I can't, this isn't communication isn't not easy all the time. But what I've learned over the 17 years A, if you can evolve together, so every relationship is going to be met with past trauma wounds and your shit that you're working through. But what I always look for as a partnership is, are we going to evolve? And when you have one of those, this is not working conversations, the step away for us, we've never in 17 years gone to bed angry. Because I also know I could die tomorrow. That was very apparent since the age of 12. So I've always lived my life with radical, radical honesty. That's all through my book. And um, radical honesty and communication. And when you realize you have people who are hitting wounds, to me, the biggest point, like right then, you're naked, close it, shut that curtain. I can't deal with this. But if you're able to, and whether it's this relationship, other relationships, whether if you're able to step back in when emotions are high, reason is low. So you are, you know this. So when I can step back in and have a conversation with the person, with my husband, when emotions aren't high, that's, that's when the good shit happens. Yes. Sometimes that fire is needed to see if we're going to burn this motherfucker down or we're going to add more warmth. Mm. Think about that. Some people go for relationships that are just going to burn shit down because that's probably been their life. That's what they looked at home and that's familiar. But when you start realizing that fire can create warmth, it doesn't just have to be sparks, which usually comes with amazing sex, but then horrible fights. And then you break up the warmth, the heat that is, that's the homeostasis. That's the balance in in my experience. And I am so grateful for that perspective. This definitely was not a fight, but it was a very passionate conversation and there was some fire. And I love that. That just so resonated with me. And I hope it resonates with anyone listening well to know, to discern, right? Like whether or not you do need to burn that bitch down because sometimes we do, but but like, this was not that moment yesterday. This is, and, and, and that's why I took myself on a hike. Like I, 
went and got on a mountain for a few hours and I like climbed up a whole quarry and sat on a ledge on like the edge of a mountain. I broke a rule totally because the sign said, don't climb. And I was like, watch me. (laughs) And I did climbed all the way up to the top. I haven't even gone that far before on that um, part of the mountain, but I sat there and I was like, I really want to meet this with love and compassion and understanding. And that's the warmth that you're speaking to. That's the presence. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And you did exactly what I believe is the most healing is going to mother earth. hundred percent. Cause you ground, right? She is my out, like all wet. Like as soon as I stepped foot on the trail, I was like, please absorb it all. Yes. You know? Yes, barefoot. She can hold us. Yes, she can hold us on that earth. Yes, put it on you. Like, Hands, yes, feet, pussy, all of it going on the earth. <laughs> yes, put it all on there. All of it. She takes it. She transmits it. She does. It's really incredible. Okay, so I have this question. Um, we are speaking on January 10th, 2020. Three. Oh God, yes. Oh my God. It's crazy. So my dad died January 7th, 2019. Mm. So we just hit the four year mark. And I, I want to ask you this question. I had such an incredible experience with him when he was dying. And, you know, I, I I've shared with you about my own mediumship and in my life, all of my mediumship besides like being deeply intuitively connected to people and like just having moments where I think of you and then I receive a text from you or, or I literally like will send someone love. And then I get a text. It's like sending you love. You know, it's like, there's that, I have that intuitive connection with, with, with life, but my mediumship has been, a lot of it has been around death. So like, I know when someone's dying, I know when they have passed, and sometimes I know them, sometimes I don't know them. There's been a lot of, sometimes when people die violently, I get awareness of their soul and it's like they're trapped and they need, how I receive it is like they need help transitioning into the light because they're stuck in like the violent darkness of their death. And I know that my psychic mentor said that to me, she was like, you know, sometimes when people die, cause I was like getting haunted by, especially with the gun violence, um, you know, in America, it's just so prevalent and it's an, it's its own epidemic. Um, as that has gotten worse throughout the years, a lot of, I've had, I've just had a lot of stuff come through to me, like wake me up in the middle of the night. And I had to really set a boundary with spirit, like what I'm available for and what I'm not available for and when, and when I'm not, Um, but I had a really beautiful experience with my dad when he was dying and my intention for my presence, I love that this is a theme for today. My intention for my presence was to bring the light. And four years ago, I said this out loud, you know, with my mom in the car, like, I want to bring the light. I want him to know that it's okay for him to pass. And that we're all going to be okay. And that I love him and I forgive him. And I don't hurt anymore. I do still feel the pain, but I've sat and I've been, and I've alchemized that pain long enough to now be witness to the pain and hold it with love and compassion. So it doesn't actively hurt me anymore, but I can witness it. But He, I saw a man reeling, like he wasn't ready to die. He wasn't ready to let go in real life or like you saw witnessed him in his dying process, not ready to go. Okay. Correct. He was resisting. And we had a moment where I was sitting on the edge of the bed. It was just me and him in the room. And I was holding both of his hands and he was kind of, he hadn't received pain medicine yet because they wanted us to all be able to be with him coherently before. He was in an in-hospice care unit at the hospital and he was, he was kind of going in and out of consciousness. Like he was tired, you know, Jen, and he was like sitting up and then he closed his eyes and leaned back in the bed. And he had that moment where he leaned back in the bed and I was holding both of his hands and something told me to close my eyes. And it, the, the wisdom I heard was close your eyes and drop in. 
And so I did that. And when I did that, it felt like all of a sudden there was like a train crashing through the room and my eyes were like shaking in their sockets and my whole body, it felt like everything was vibrating really intensely. And I heard a f- in my ears and like everything was shaking and it literally felt like an earthquake. If you've ever been in an earthquake, that's what it felt like. And, and my wisdom was like, stay here stay with him. Don't leave. Cause I wanted to open my eyes and be like, what the fuck's going on? But I couldn't. And so it felt like a really long time and I'm sure it was just seconds, but then all of a sudden he sat up in the bed and he was like, you know, it was a big gasp of air and his eyes like wide open. And my dad was like this jaundiced skeleton at this point in his process, his transition. And he sat up and he was like, Oh my God, I have to go. I have to go with her. She's a friend. She, she said, I have to go with her today. And I was like, yeah, you do. You get to go with her and we're all going to be right here and we love you and it's safe for you to go with her. And we're going to be right here the, the whole time. We want you to go with her. And he was just like in shock that he had to go. And I felt like my, I felt like I did what I said I was going to do. I brought the light and I let him know that it was okay to die, but he resisted it. And so my question is, is, is the actual process of dying, is dying easy? Is it hard? Is it neutral? Is it our resistance and fear towards it? With your wisdom and your experience, which is vast when it comes to death, is it easy? Is dying easy? I think that's a very individual question. And this has been brought up in numerous death groups that I've been in. Mm. And a lot of us who have worked with the dying have noticed those who resist life often resist death. And there is a resistance in the dying process. Those who let go, typically they've understood the process of let go in real life. Mm. Death comes, they've learned the process of let go. Mm. Does that mean, does that mean every person who's had let go? I am not one to say, but from when I've talked with others who have way more experience than I do. Um, that has been one of the consensus when we spoke about this. And it's interesting because it sounded like in your dad, he once he got the invitation, did he let go? I saw more ease, yes. So there was an invitation on the other side. But what I also heard was there was a let go and a space for you to go where your energy So one of the biggest things I talk about with people when they have someone who's dying with them is, again, whatever you do in life, do it in in death too. Release judgment, release release that sense of having to be a sponge. So if they're in deep pain, feeling pity and worrying, and again, way harder if that's your kid, right? Or somebody, and when it's someone you deeply love. But if you can get into the process that you know that this person is going to die. I know this person I love is going to die. I, in fact, my gift is to be witness and be present with them Mm. if they don't want to be alone. One of the other things I've also noticed is sometimes people want to die alone. They feel they hold on, they hold tight because what about all the people around me? So they can't fully let go. So sometimes one of the most beautiful things a family member can do is be present and say, I see you, I love you. It's okay to let go. It's Mm -hmm. okay. Even if you don't want them to leave. If you know they're suffering, saying it's okay to let go, we support you, we're going to be okay. Sometimes is what they need to go. And if they go when you're not there, that's another thing I always, because sometimes people, I wasn't there for them. That might've been what they needed. Mm-hmm. About 
vision quests or time and space when you need to be alone and when you are in the let go because there is no one else, nothing else but you, yourself, your soul. Mm-hmm. So I would say death, it is different for every soul. Every soul has their own journey. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that. It's so real because I used to say, I love how you said how they die is how they live, how we die is how we live. And as, as you know, you and I both offer coaching and mentorship and guidance to people. And I know when I was teaching yoga, I used to say that to my students all the time was how you show up on your mat is how you show up in your life. Mm. And now as a mentor to entrepreneurs in their business, I say it as, re- as it relates to business, like how you are in your business is how you are in your life. How you're showing up in your business is how you're showing up in your life. And the great mirror to life is how we die as well. Yes, totally. And there's something I forgot to mention. I completely agree with this. Um, you mentioned that this is the fourth year of your grief. Yeah. In China, we were, mm. I was in a very small town in China. And I just thought this is such a beautiful, I love rituals. So this was so powerful. We were walking again, small, small rural town. And we were with a tour guide. And I noticed just three of us and noticed that on the, some doors, there were ribbons, four different color ribbons. And then randomly I'd see ribbons. I was like, what is that? And she goes, oh, you know, when someone dies, each color represents a year. Mm. And I thought, now that is beautiful. So when you knock on the door, you know, if this is the first year someone is working through grief, the second year, the third or the fourth. Wow. Grief can go forever and that it, there's different forms of it, but we certainly know it's quite ripe within the first few years. And imagine if everybody could wear a pin and you go, oh God, that's why you're an asshole today. You just lost someone. <laughs> yes. Like, you're just going through it. You, know? you need a hug. <laughs> you need a hug and you need to be alone. And you're so- mm-hmm. Right. So it, it just, to me, when you said those four years immediately, I thought, oh, that I've got to share that story with you because there's a power in that. And that's something I also share in my book too, because I think there's a lot of fear around death. Um, the four topics I bring up in my book are the four top four pillars in my life that I've found wisdom and life force. And that's within death and dying, witnessing my own body get to the point where I could barely swallow or get up from a chair. From 12 to 17, my body attacked my immune system. So I got on the path very, very early of awareness and consciousness that what's going on on the outside um, might not reflect on what's going on on the inside because my spirit was getting stronger as my body was getting weaker. Thus, my life force was getting stronger as I nearly died. Wow. So death to me was my teacher early on, as well as my uncle and my grounding mother. So those people and humans come into your life. So death in that space um, and working with the dying, whether it was hospice or with a pile of puppies with dying children, that's my first pillar of wisdom and life force. Second is around sexuality and sensuality and how oddly and interesting Uh, being close to death ignited my sensuality and sexuality. So when I came into my body at 17 and I could finally get up the bleachers and go to a pep rally Mm -hmm. and I turned into, I I felt like I turned into a siren. Um, (laughs) Amazing because then I could use my body the way I wanted to. And it wasn't just about what I looked like, like most teenagers were feeling. It was what my body could do. And I couldn't even masturbate. I had no strength to masturbate at one point. Imagine wow. that. Wow. Yeah. No <laughs> strength. <laughs> God damn it. But here's the thing. This is how I started learning about life force. And sex and sexuality was so important. 
I grew up in a space where there was no shame. So I was with men, I was with women. I didn't call myself bisexual, queer, nothing. I just was. Mm -hmm. And that was a gift that I also share because so many people are judged um, on who they love and or their physical capabilities, mm -hmm. right? disabled or not. Um, so that was a huge vein also within the book. And then the third one is on chronic illness. Of my 45 years, 33 of them have been literally my immune systems attacked my muscles, my joints, my lining of my lung, my carotid artery dissected spontaneously when we moved to Switzerland two wow. weeks in, right? Um, my skin, so it worked on vanity. So I have lots of little red dots, 100, over 100 and having to work through what is it if you don't look perfect or your skin doesn't look the way everyone else's does. Mm -hmm. um, so that was part, that's part of the book too, is about looking at how does illness bring forth wisdom? How do you really get into the pain of what you're experiencing so that you feel it, so that you can let it go? Because with my master's in psychophysiology, study of the mind and body, um, I add spirit, mind, body, spirit. Um, what you think will also aggravate or propel in good ways your body. So even what your thought processes are, they can attribute to more pain or less pain. So there's mm -hmm. that piece. And then the fourth pillar is motherhood. You're a mother as well. <laughs> and it's just sharing, especially with those women who never wanted to be a mom. That was <laughs> I'm still a wild child. You still can be wild just in case any of those ladies out there don't want to become a mom because they can't. You can. Agree. Um, yes. <laughs> but you may not be wild for a couple of years and that could be really hard. So anyway, I share about authentic mothering <laughs> and not feeling bonded with my baby in the beginning and what it was like to be chronically ill and nearly die is, and not knowing if I'd make it to see my daughter. So there was that whole journey. So I just wanted to share that I Ooh. really there are so many powerful points in our life and we can infuse life force here mm. use it you just have to make sure you got the tools to do it mm. <laughs> I'm like you are the life force so was there something that happened to make you sit down because I know I mean you and I've been friends now for some time and this is like your two of our friendship, right? We met at the top of 2021. It's the top of 2023 now. And so I know I, I I've been witness to your beautiful, inspiring process of writing the book and how like you set yourself out in nature by yourself and wrote the book like under the tree. And so right. what, <laughs> which I'm like, that's how I would do it. Um, was there something that happened to make you like take that action? Okay. I'm going to write the book now. Yeah. So it started in 2020 mm. when my lung was being attacked by my immune system. We all know what also was happening in 2020. We had COVID coming in, attacking the, the, the lung. Yeah. And I was living in Switzerland at the time. We were there, supposed to be there for three years. We ended up leaving on the second year, at the end of the second year. And I had, at the time, she was six, six years old, my daughter. And I thought, well, fuck. <laughs> this may take me out. I mean, this legitimately, I was on double immunosuppressants. I was, my immune system was being attacked and I, I'm somebody who's always solution oriented, always. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, instead of worrying that I could die, I began to start, I started to write then in 2020. I started to do videos on my phone. It says Aria videos because I didn't know if I was going to die. And I know I do, I do interviews for people who are completely happy and fine and parents because you can be killed in a car accident. You could, you could just go anytime. You don't know. People okay. assume they're going to get old. I don't assume this. So I also, do, wow. <laughs> so I also sit down and do inquiry interviews with people and, and send them the video so that you have it. If you're, if, especially if you're a parent, it, your wisdom is, is given. So what I did was started to do the videos, started to do the writing. And when we came, came back to the States, the decision, as I had been doing it, it was like, it was literally like, I think people know, like when you feel like you're pregnant, it was like this, oh my God, now, mm -hmm. now I feel it. It's got to come. And within 90 days, it was written. 
it was written. And I thought, oh my God, I wrote my book in 90 days. Little did I know this is a year and a half later, <laughs> how magical this process was. Because I mean, I'm literally writing a second book on writing the first book because of how many synchronicities people that I've connected with. But I would spend five hours a day under a tree when I would visit in San Diego. My daughter would be at camp and I would go to my friend's she has a, she's a farm and this tree called me and this tree sounds crazy, but this tree literally called me and my friend goes, oh yeah, you see that swastika on it? I was like, oh my God. The what? Yes. The people, there were drug addicts that were on this land before her. Wow. And, it, the, and there was ax marks, marks in this stunning tree, gorgeous tree. And I was like, that's my tree. That tree has been through fucking shit. And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And it infused. I'm going to send you the video. I took a video of how the light and the canopy comes through. And in the video, no shit, there is a heart literal heart from the light coming in. I never noticed the heart until the video was shown, until I looked at the video afterwards. Wow. And that's what it was. And so I literally wrote this book in stints of five to, to 15 hours where I would sit and do the revision and, and write. And then the revision process has been intense because when you have something that's about your life, that's about to go out and it's going to be in print, you can't change it. And so this has been the hardest part is the revisions and getting it right, mm. getting it right. Because if you're talking about sex and you're talking about, and, and even when I started writing this book, this wasn't going to be for everyone. This is for my daughter. And then as I started writing it, I was like, oh no, I think this is for someone outside of just my daughter. And as I was writing about my sexual experiences, I thought, well, this wouldn't be what you'd say to your daughter. Um, but this is what I would say to women who are, uh, you know, sexually fluid, fluid, queer, bisexual, whatever your title is, and married, and look straight, because I've been a chameleon all my life. Hmm. I've looked completely healthy when I'm nearly dying, and I look like a very straight lady with my husband and my daughter, but there's a lot of stories I share in that, in that whole space of what it is to really be 100% who you are. Hmm. So I know there's a lot of people who chameleon out there, you know, you wear certain hats at certain times to fit into this. What happens when you just show the fuck up? Yeah. What happens? I want to say how important it is for this book to be out in the world. And did, did you have that knowing? Yes. As I was like, writing it. I got, I'll be the, the, the most nervous I'm about, the most nervous I am about this book is on the sexuality piece. And not because I have any shame involved, it's around the judgment. And I'll be really honest, I work with a lot of religious folks in my nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And I have this fear that if you see the whole side of me, you know, people have called me an angel all my life. And I'm like, you have no idea how dirty this mind is. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I can be an angel, but I also can fuck like a goddess. So, <laughs> well, I think fucking like a goddess is one of our greatest gifts as a fully embodied woman. Yes, and and the I just had a God. This is so relevant. I just got off a. I told you I just had a, an onboarding call with a new mentorship client, and that was one of her like core deliverables that she wants to really like own the goddess inside of her. And it's more than just being confident and, and being sexual, but like, it was like a deep, we really took it deep, deep, deep. There is such like, we all hold, if, if you're a woman or woman identifying, we hold that. And I think all, all of humanity really, because, you know, the men are, and men identifying and even non-binary, non-gender conforming, like we all have a collective wound of, what has been suppressed mm. and being like, I'm a very sexual person. And also I've been objectified my whole life, sexualized. Right. You know? And it's like, it's, it's such a, there's so much polarity with that because I love having sex and I, I love sex. And also it's like, I've always been sexualized. I've always been objectified as a sexual object. And so 
it's, it's really interesting to, I'm so glad you're speaking about this and, and really not only like giving yourself full permission, but your book and your words gives others the permission that they need to feel free in their body and to feel free in their experience, because we all hold this wound of suppression, whether it's suppression of the feminine suppression of the masculine suppression of our sexuality, our sensuality, our, our goddess. And it's, I'm, I'm tired of it. It's fucking old, you know, (laughs) it's old. And also what's been shared with us over the time I came from Southern California. So what's beautiful, tan, tall, big boobs at the time. It wasn't big booty back then, but I had none of that. And, and so I became a mom and my boobs grew. And it was like, I was so excited because I don't, but (laughs) My dad would always talk about big boobs. So I was like, oh, wait, big boobs is because my dad did it and media. And what has been this journey of writing the book and bisexuality and everything has been this journey of appreciating of all types bodies, all looking at what was implanted in me as to what beautiful is to what really is, which was gifted to me as a teenager after experiencing close to being dying, right? Because I realized it's life force that's fucking sexy. Life force that brings presence and wisdom. That's the source. And we're constantly fed what what we look like. And yet I know people, I've had conversations. So I do workshops where we have conversations with women who were not attractive toward like uh, how the media would say is attractive and were told they were not attractive. And what where they found their life force had nothing to do with what they look like and then when i spoke to women who were attractive according to media they were telling me how much shit was brought to them because of what they look like like more more pain more um assaults and it was this interesting conversation and polarity and you can be assaulted no matter what you look like as a woman Mm -hmm. Um, but it was this interesting conversation of where are we sourcing our power and where did we learn what beauty came from and who are we as a soul? And that is the work that needs to be done as a woman, as a whole entity. And part of the four pillars, you know, death, chronic illness, sexuality, motherhood, by the way, motherhood in my book is not just mothering humans. There are people who have mother energy that they give to humans and to businesses. So to me, the holding of the mother is holding of, it's, it's those who hold the space for others in a very profound, deep way. And, and the reality is, um, for the, the truth is that light comes through transparent vessels. And the more transparent, the more radical honesty, the less shame and the less loneliness we have in this world. That's mm. the goal for my book. That's the goal for my workshops. That's the goal of my clients to really live your authentic self. Light comes through the most transparent vessels. It's true. That's a quote. Can you put that in the front of your book? Like, I was like, that's the intro page. That's amazing. I have a sense that this is the first of many interviews that we will have on this show. Love it, love it, love it. Let's do it. They're going to beg you to come back. Oh my gosh. I love you. I love what you do. I love what you're bringing to the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me for this Mm. hour. It's such a gift. Um, how can people I've, I've introed you of course, but how can people get in touch with you right now? Perfect. Um, if you are on social media, it would be wells of wisdom, JT, my initials JT. Um, and there's a link tree, which has my website, wellsofwisdom.com. It has all my podcasts I've done and how you can reach me if you want to be on the book signing or when I launch the book on any workshops, work with me, all of that is in that link tree in the, there. And, um, my website soon will have more of the pet podcasts. I'm still working in that piece, but actually I will just say it's in the website as well. And I'll link it in show notes here as well. Oh, perfect. 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 Yeah. Yeah. But social media is a good way to connect with you. Social media. And then the link tree has, has everything. Okay. Perfect. Do you have a last question? Uh, Do you have a 
estimated idea date for when you will launch, when the book will be ready? So, well, I have a women's group that's launching in March, and then I've got the book, the goal is the summer of 2023. I am still in revisions because I was sick for 11 weeks. I had I'd been sick September. Oh. Insane. So that kind of screwed with it. But here's what I've learned about this book is trusting in the process because the people that I'm connecting with, the people that are coming to my life before this book is published are crucial to the end, to the, to the, mm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I am so ready for this baby to be born. It's 2023, <laughs> damn it. And it's so close. And just like pushing, pushing, pushing. Crown, <laughs> I can feel the head. Yeah, the ring of fire. You know, the when the baby crowns. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh. Or I'm, or the, I rather even, even better. I'm at, I'm at the peak of the orgasm. I'm almost at the orgasm. I'm right over <laughs> here. It's about to explode. Whoa, that sounds more fun. I don't love that. To, yeah, that's better. Actually, let's do that. I'm doing that. I don't want to be in pain. We're at the peak of the, we're almost there at the peak of the orgasm. Okay. That's what, let's go that. I'm oh, quivering okay. inside. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much, Jen. So great. Took you so great. Thank you for being on today. You got it. We will do it again. Yay! So much love. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.